Take your Bibles, if you would please, and turn with me to First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, as we look to the Scriptures and address faithful servants from the pastoral epistles, most particularly First Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. You know, sometimes when we sing a song like that, hallelujah, all we have is Christ. It comes from a place of despondency and despair, and it's a good thing to know that we always have Christ. But I fear that sometimes we forget in the course of life that same truth. Sometimes we depend too much on things of this earth. Sometimes we put too much stock and faith in things that we know and have control over. And even in the best of times, we must be able to sing, hallelujah, all I have is Christ, and He is our life. He is our very being, the essence of our being, the the very foundation of our faith and ever-present help in time of trouble. Aren't you thankful He is the King of kings and Lord of lords? Well, on this Sunday… We're going to celebrate Pastor Russ's service here in ministry. We would encourage you to join us right across the hallway behind me in the gymnasium for a time of refreshment after our morning worship service. And just as a service announcement based on the forecast and the treacherous road conditions, and of course, wouldn't it be great to be a weatherman where you can be wrong and, and still keep your job. But, but at any rate, uh, we're going to close the church offices tomorrow in an emergency. You can call the emergency line with the church offices based on the weather a prediction and the road conditions. The, the church office will be closed. So when we talk about faithful servants, I had prepared a message. It's a farewell, a send-off, if you would, for Pastor Russ was at a faithful ministry in Binghamton, New York for a long time, 32 years, in fact, serving here in even Broome County as, uh, I suppose, a part of that, Pastor Russ, I don't know where you are, maybe that part of that was in in Tioga County too, I'm not sure, all Broome County, okay. Uh, He served as a youth pastor at Grace Baptist Church, he was called away for a few years and then was called back to the senior pastorate. Grace Baptist Church in Binghamton. As he resigned that position, he went to the, the Life Choices Center, became their executive director. Uh, he also, the last two years of his tenure there, served with us on a part-time basis here at First Baptist in Johnson City. That was kind of the gateway for him to come aboard in 2014 and to serve faithfully as our executive pastor until the year of our Lord 2022 that just began here. But we're also bringing on a new pastor, Pastor Andrew, and saying farewell to Pastor Chris and his family. And I think under divine providence, God brought me to this place to bring a stillness and quietness to my spirit, and I pray to your spirit as well. Paul is writing to young pastors and the pastoral epistles. He's writing to Timothy, First and Second Timothy. Of course, he's writing to Titus as he writes and pens that letter to him. And as you look at the pastoral epistles, First Timothy in particular gives a, an explanation and some very specifics when it comes to 
pastoral leadership, even giving instructions for the church to Timothy to be passed on to the church, even teaching Timothy how to serve, going beyond the example that Paul set for him, and setting a tone of, of godliness for those who serve in pastoral ministry. In fact, in that first pastoral epistle, in chapter 4, verse 11, Paul encourages Timothy to command and teach these things, and let no one despise you for your youth. Set the believers as an example in speech, and in conduct, and in love, and in faith, and in purity. And I, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, and to exhortation, and to teaching. What you will find as you follow the pastoral epistles, the charge to this young pastor is no different to the charge to the older pastor. We won't say old, just a matter of mind, I guess, but older, nothing really changes. Devote yourself, wholeheartedly commit yourself. And yet sometimes, as you commit wholeheartedly, life doesn't go the way you plan. And in 2 Timothy, Paul is penning his second letter to Timothy. In fact, the last recorded letter that we know of in the New Testament, he is saying farewell to this young pastor who he had mentored throughout the context of his life, and he is encouraging him in a very personal way, pointing him to the Word of God and and the comfort and help that comes from the Word of God. He encourages in 2 Timothy this young man to be and to lean into boldness, to maintain an endurance, and to be faithful regardless of the circumstances. And in a very deeply way, he conveys his own personal circumstances, adding an admonition of hope and promise. Nonetheless, the Lord stood with me, Timothy. It's going to be okay. And as we look forward into Titus and that third pastoral epistle, uh, Titus is, is told to look ahead. In fact, in both 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and now in Titus, there is this eschatological perspective, a perspective that looks at life not in the here and now between life and death, but life in an eternal kind of context, life in the hereafter, what comes next. He, he takes the long view, but particularly in Titus, he encourages Titus to take the long view and to look ahead at the promise of the return of Christ. Now, he does that for a reason, and the reason is simple. Titus was experiencing some pretty staunch opposition in his ministry. There were the legalists who were trying to erase the authority of the Word and make themselves that own authority. And of course, as always in the church age, Titus was fighting against the false teachers and, and, and is called upon to, to keep fighting the good fight and, and to take his stand in sound doctrine and to persevere. In Titus chapter 2, Paul writes, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And then that perseverance is played out in verse 11 of that same chapter. Titus, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people and training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting 
for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people of His own possession who are zealous of good works. In essence, in these pastoral epistles, He is speaking to these young men, and I believe all pastors, and reminding them that true contentment comes in Christ and only in Christ. All I have is Christ. And we know that because just prior to chapter 6 and the text that we're going to look at, he is talking about those in ministry who don't find contentment in Christ and have been distracted and, and led astray into false teachings or different doctrines or uh, self-fulfillment and other such things. One of the hard realities of pastoral ministry, Pastor Russ knows this well for his faithful service and then an additional six years on top of that in New Jersey serving, that endurance and faithfulness and finishing well is a reality from the day you start your ministry until the day you stand before your Savior. Finishing well is an everyday kind of mantra that gets you through the difficult and challenging times, separates you from those who were false teachers or discontent, and equips you to persevere and difficult and, and changing circumstances. As Pastor Russ moves towards a semi-retirement, no pastor ever retires. It's a calling. He's going to be ministering in New Jersey to a, to, to a church there and being closer to his home and his mom and his children as an added blessing to all of that. But there is no retirement. People ask me all the time, when are you going to retire? When I can't open the book and faithfully proclaim the truth, and that's when I'll retire. A good chance that'll be when I'm in the ground. But my words might still haunt you. How do we finish well? How do we do what God calls us to do? How do we do it in a world that has so drastically changed? In a recent discussion that I had with Pastor Russ, we were reminiscing like old, older, I was going to say old guy, older guys do, about the changing face of ministry in our culture today. We live in a culture that is high in expectation and demandingness, but low in personal commitment. In other words, we live in this culture who asks, what's in it for me, instead of a culture in generations past who would serve other people. You know that the church is a part of that culture, and some of that mindset has slipped into the church as well, where there's a high demandedness and expectation and pastoral ministry and yet a low personal commitment by so many people who demand so much. And it's a challenge to move through and work through all of that. Perhaps part of that is that we've replaced the basin and towel. Remember in John chapter 13 where Jesus stooped and washed the feet of His disciples? We seldom speak of basin and towels. We speak of titles and had tables today. There's one thing that every pastor must know, 
And what is reiterated time and time again through the pastoral epistles is a pastor is first and foremost a servant of Christ. He's a servant of Christ's church. He's a servant of the people. He's a protector of the Word. And as Paul is encouraging Timothy and then Titus for the adversary assault, and it is very real spiritual warfare, very real and pastoral ministry, he is encouraging to live in a state of perpetual finishing well, finding a contentment in Christ, and modeling your life as a servant. Paul put some specifics in chapter 6 to this young man, Timothy. In verse 11, we read, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. What kinds of things is he speaking of? Flee this notion that uh, you're bigger than, than, than life and your service. He talks about all of our service in verses 1 and 2, uh, serving well those masters, being respectful. He speaks of teaching true things and not different doctrines that do not agree with sound words. He, he talks about those who have grown discontent and, and that discontentment has, has caused them to, to pursue things in the world. I'm reminded of what he says in his second epistle towards the end, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. It is a constant battle. It is a challenge. It is a struggle. It is a war. And as he prepares him for this good fight in both First and Second Timothy and Titus, he encourages these young men of God called to pastoral ministry in specific terms. I'd like to share some of those with you. There's so much in this text that we could focus on, but I want to make this deeply personal for our pastoral staff, both those transitioning in and out, and deeply personal from my own perspective as well. Before we do that, pray with me, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for this opportunity to do exactly what Paul charged Timothy and Titus to do, open a book. May we be faithful to its truth, faithful in our application. For Pastor Andrew, Pastor Chris, and Pastor Russ, and myself, may we be faithful in finishing well wherever it is you might have us be in this gospel ministry, struggling, protecting, and defending the truth, wrestling with our own personal disappointments and wrestling with our own weak spots, and we all have them, listening to the critics, perhaps more often than we want, surrounding ourselves with those who sing praise probably more than we should. I pray that you'd remind us, as Paul reminds this young Timothy, indeed, all we have is Christ. May He be the very essence of our existence May He be the driving force in our pastoral ministry. May we heed the call of Christ wherever that might be and wherever that might take us. And may we be faithful 
to the end. May we finish well in whatever assignment you give to us. Encourage these men, bless this ministry, and in the end, remind us all that everything's going to be okay. Bless us as we spend some time this morning. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. After Paul gives Timothy in these pastoral epistles this instruction, after he gives Titus this instruction in, in his letter to Titus, after we've moved through the context and learned about what pastoral leadership is, some of the roles that the local church plays in the context of that leadership, some of the challenges that are ever-present in the context of local church pastoral leadership and ministry, some of the personal pitfalls in chapter 6 in the early verses that all of us must wade through and protect against, he changes his emphasis somewhat, and he says in verse 11, but as for you, in essence, he's saying, in contrast in separating you from the things that I've just spoken about, the things that I've just warned about, the things that I've just explained about early in chapter 6. As for you, Timothy, it's really important that we all understand that Timothy wasn't greater than Paul, nor Paul greater than Timothy. Sometimes in pastoral ministry, it's easy to slip into, but, but I'm the pastor. You know, we're bit players on a big stage. We're walking through this Christian life doing our best, doing our best, carrying the weight of responsibility, but we are not supermen. And the truth of the matter is, you can look at all of these qualifications that he can talk about and find flaws in every one of us. But this is a process And he says, Timothy, in contrast to these warnings, in contrast to this place of discontentment, in contrast to those who have fallen away from sound doctrine or sound words to different doctrine, as for you, Timothy. In essence, it's really what Paul did to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20 when he calls upon them to be on guard for yourselves. Timothy, know that this isn't going to be easy. Know that there's going to be opposition and challenge. Understand the difficulties that you are engaging in and and, and will embrace, O man of God, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee these things, this lack of discontentment in some of the things that he speaks of. Constantly be aware and guard your heart. This isn't a one-time thing. It's a daily struggle, but it's a struggle that's worth it, Paul says to Timothy and to Titus. And it's a struggle that is littered in its path with those who have fallen away from sound words, those who have left the plow those who have given up the call, those who have lost their way. And as he writes to this young pastor, Timothy, not that he has lost his way, he is simply talking about the potential and possibility, and he rehearses that in the end of chapter or Second Timothy, where he talks about all of the people who are in different places 
and feeling so very alone. He sets Timothy apart for the instruction that he will give, but there's something to be learned from all of us, but particularly for those called to pastoral ministry as for you. We look at this context. He calls Timothy a man of God. First and foremost, that is a very humbling statement from this perspective. He is not talking about Timothy being a man of God necessarily because his resume or his character is so much better than everybody else. He is saying to Timothy, you are a possession of the Most High God. Are you thankful for that this morning? First and foremost in pastoral ministry, we must understand that we have been bought with a price and we are servants of the King, and that is a deeply privileged position to have. Let's not confuse that with a pastoral appointment. He is talking first and foremost about the call to salvation. We are men of God, a people of His possession, a peculiar people indeed. He has stamped His ownership on us. Without doubt, all we have is Christ. Sometimes it's easy to lose sight of the reality that we started in the same place that everybody else started, through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of God and the call of the Spirit and the glorious salvation in Jesus Christ, where He looks at you and He looks at me and He says, mine. Timothy, <laughs> you are a man of God. You are, you are owned. You've been bought. You are a servant of the King. Don't forget that. It is a sobering reality beyond that humility, that God would pay such a price for our redemption. It is a deeply personal position when we find ourselves overwhelmed that He would love us. And in the pastoral ministry, at least for me and so many that I know and have served with, who am I, the God of all the earth, would care to know my name? I wouldn't be the first on the top of the list if I were putting a list together. Timothy, oh man of God, you've been rescued by the grace of Jesus Christ. You've been called to salvation in Christ alone. You are a servant of the Most High God and your Savior, Jesus Christ. And Timothy, oh man of God, you have been given the great privilege of being called into gospel ministry. But as for you, O man of God, I'll only speak for myself just for a minute. It's a pretty intimidating phrase for me. It's too easy to look into the mirror and see all of my flaws and all of my mistakes, to be honest about all of my fears and insecurities, and to rest in the fact that I'm a child of the King, called for the purpose of serving the gospel ministry. And that's intimidating. Some self-proclaim that, of course, I'm a man of God. 
I like Paul sometimes see myself more as the chief of sinners. How in the world is God going to use somebody like me? But I have to come to the conclusion that I've been bought with a price. I've been created for a purpose, and that purpose is my calling, and I must be faithful in that calling. That's what Paul is encouraging this young pastors with. You have a position as a pastor of great responsibility. It is weighty indeed. You are representing God Himself with the primary task of delivering His Word. Whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, uh, that, that, that notion of man of God is that individual given responsibility to speak on God's behalf, to bring forth that Word and, and boldness, a call to serve the church, not Paul. A call to serve, not be served, a call to be that man of God. And to do that, he says, you must flee these things, that discontentment, that uh, different doctrine, the, the troubling things that are potholes for all of us. He says in the end of that verse, O man of God, pursue righteousness and godliness, and faith, and love, and steadfastness, and gentleness. We could spend a couple of weeks here. We don't have a couple of weeks. Timothy, pursue righteousness. Speaking of that outward manifestation of a deep spiritual maturity that sets you apart from those nominal Christians and absolutely apart from the world. There's a righteousness about your speech and your behavior and, and your calling and, and, and the need to, to manifest a spiritual maturity and, and boldness to lead. It's built on this godliness that he speaks of in this text, which is this, this, this attitude and motive. And godliness exposes a deep reverence for who God is. R.C. Sproul has had a marked impact in my life for many of his teachings and his books, but nothing greater than his series and text on the holiness of God. When you perceive the majesty and the holiness and the glory of your God when you embrace that and acknowledge that and, and, and pr- proclaim and, and preach and teach that, when you live that, there is a righteousness that will be seen on the outside, but it simply is bearing testimony to what is happening on the inside. Part of the problem sometimes in all of our lives is our God is too small. Paul will address that in a couple of verses, and he will show you the gravity and the magnitude of the glory of our God. When he ends this text with a glorious benediction, Timothy, pursue righteousness and, and, and godliness and, and faith. When I read down through this list, I am reminded that we are all a work in progress. We're not home yet. To ever assess your Christian life and realize that you're in a better place than what you used to be, but you're not what you want to be. 
And this process, we're working in progress. And God is manifesting himself in various ways. And, and what I love about this text, Timothy and Titus were different people. They weren't the same people, but, but they had the same challenges and, and the same calling. God doesn't erase our uniqueness when He calls us to ministry. He just calls us to righteousness and godliness and, and faith, and we realize that's a work in progress. That faith belies a, a confidence in Christ. It's a confidence in, in our salvation. You know where the security of my salvation comes from? Not in anything that I do, but the God that has assured me in Jesus Christ that I've been sealed with a Holy Spirit of promise, and nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's glorious. Where your confidence comes. Confidence in your pastoral calling, in your role, in your giftedness, in God's will, and in God's Word. Timothy, pursue, continue to pursue. It's not that Timothy didn't have righteousness. It's not that he didn't have godliness. It's not that he didn't have faith. It's not that he didn't have life. He is being called to make that grow, to allow that to expand, to grow, as Peter says, into the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are a work and progress. Pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and and love. Again, that primary love is what Jesus spoke of in Matthew 22, and that is loving the Lord your God with all of your hearts, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. You can't do that if you cannot comprehend the holiness and the glory of God. As we wrestle through this, we're all called to love They're all uniquely different, and we love in different ways, and our faith is expressed in different ways, and our righteousness is manifested in different ways. And one of those ways, according to Paul, as he writes to Timothy, love your neighbor as yourself in that great commandment. Grow and pursue love. And then he says, pursue steadfastness. Persevere, Timothy. Perhaps in the common vernacular, buckle up, Timothy. This is going to be a ride. <laughs> the pastors in the room know exactly what I'm speaking of. There are exhilarating times, and there are depths of despair. And the only way we make it is through perseverance. Where does that come from? Understanding God growing in our faith, manifesting our love, realizing our confidence in Christ. This isn't a fatalism that says, well, you can't control it, just roll with the punch. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying at all. When he's speaking of steadfastness, he's speaking of loyalty in trials. Anybody can be loyal in seasons of blessing. Anybody can be loyal in seasons of abundance. Anyone can be loyal. When you're the top of the heap, loyalty is much harder. You're the butt of criticism. When you have your self-doubts, when things aren't going the way you think they ought to go, there's this, this, this weightiness 
that demands a steadfastness. It demands a loyalty in the midst of trial. And Paul is seeking to communicate that to Timothy all in the context of saying, now listen, you're no different than anybody else. You're a real person with real needs. You must manifest this steadfastness. Why? Because it sends and communicates an important message to the people who look to you in hope. If you permit me just for a second, recently there was a national championship football game for the NCAA. Georgia Bulldogs won that national championship, but what I felt the real story was was their quarterback. His name was Stetson Bennett the fourth. He's the fourth, all right? So he's, not, he, he's less than the other three, I suppose. And I say that because I'm the third in the James Thomas Murphy line, all right? So sometimes that's less than. So here's this young man who was a small guy for a college quarterback. He was a walk-on to the University of Georgia. He was a fifth-string quarterback. He went to a junior college, got a little bit of experience, came back, was still the third stringer, and he earned a scholarship. And lo and behold, a short time ago, his team won the national championship under his realm. Georgia did not want Stetson Bennett to be their number one quarterback. There wasn't a whole lot of confidence in this short little guy. They didn't give him a scholarship. He was a walk-on. He was undersized, and lo and behold, in that game, he made a fatal error or near-fatal error by throwing an interception toward the end of the game that could have cost his team the game. He said something really interesting in the interview afterwards, and my mind works this way. My mind takes what happens in real life and translates that into spiritual truths. And when they're talking to him about this journey and this unexpected reality that he would win the national championship, he makes along these lines a statement that at every stage, every, every time there's a decision to be made, you have to make it, and then he gives this counsel. Keep your mouth shut. Work hard. Like life is, life is tough. Work through it. And I thought, man, that's what I'm studying for Sunday. <laughs> that's what Paul's telling Timothy. Steadfast. It's not going to be easy. And if you think you're not equipped, you're right, Timothy. You're not. But I will go before you. So work through it and work hard and keep your sense about you. I've got this. Reminds me of a phrase that I picked up way long ago, almost 30-some years in youth ministry. As a pastor, I'm a bit player on a big stage. God will move the pieces anywhere He chooses, any time He chooses. I'm just happy to be a part of that whole process because I know that He's on the throne, and He knows the end from the beginning, and He does what's right. There's a steadfastness that comes In the midst of of trial, there's a loyalty, there's a steadfastness that I gain strength and confidence from. Timothy, pursue gentleness. See, when you see yourself the way you really are, you learn that kindness and meekness and humility and submission 
critical components of pastoral ministry. Not my will, but thine be done, Lord. <laughs> Paul writes to Timothy. I want you to know the language that he uses is a language that indicates keep on working through these things. You are a work in progress. Don't give up. Stay steadfast. Learn all of these things. Then he talks about some of the things that matter most and the execution beyond his personal life, the execution of his ministry, the things that matter matter most. Verse 11, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness, and fight the good fight of the faith. One of the things that matters most in the context of pastoral ministry and a culture in which we live today is to realize we are not in a battle. We are in a spiritual war. And sometimes we minimize that war and we fail to understand the opposition. And what is that opposition? It's not like the people he wrote about prior in the text who who made people the opposition. No, Paul reminds us in Ephesians, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Not a lot of encouragement there, is there? <laughs> we're overmatched. And our flesh were underprepared. Paul goes on to say, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and have done all to stand firm. Fight the good fight faith. Interesting word. Agonize with your calling, Timothy. I don't like to agonize. Discipline your life. Put forth the effort, all of your energy, all of the time And he says in another text, don't grow weary in well-doing. Pastor Russ and I have known each other for a long time. We've all been through these valleys, and we've seen each other work through these valleys, and we still come to this understanding of what really matters most, even in the agonizing times and the weary times. And what is it? Uh, Jude 3 tells us, it is that, that faith delivered for the saints. We're, we're to contend for that faith. What is that faith? It is truth. It is the Word. It is the gospel. It is the very essence of our calling. And Paul says to this young man, Timothy, whether you feel like it or not. See, we don't have the luxury of getting up on a cold winter morning when it's minus four and saying, yeah, it's a little chilly. I'll just watch on television today. (laughs) No. It's not an option. You agonize, and you fight, and you contend, and you know why? 
because it's the mission. And the mission is bigger than the person. And he warns prior in chapter 6, when the person becomes bigger than the mission, the person is in trouble. It is always about the mission. And that mission demands submission, and it demands humility, and it demands a commitment to that mission, no matter what it takes, for the glory of God, even when we have no energy. And sometimes that's the best times of ministry. Because when you're out, God supplies abundantly, and you can't take any credit for it. Timothy, I want you to fight. I want you to fight hard. And again, he's talking about this continual fight. Take hold of the eternal life, your very salvation to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, in light of eternity, in light of the long haul in spite of the challenges, and the heartache, and the weariness because of your confidence. Timothy, rest on the promises of God, and may that be your good confession day in and day out. It's not about me. It is about Christ. All I have is Christ. And there will be times, Pastor Russ knows this, and I know this, and pastoral staff knows this, that we must rely on the fact that when we can't, He will hold us fast. We sing that little chorus here from time to time. He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. It comes from Together for the Gospel, a conference that I was at a number of years ago in the middle of a storm here at First Baptist Church. It was almost like God gave that song to me see in weariness. If you remain steadfast, He will keep you, He will use you, and He will glorify, not you, He will glorify Himself through you. Timothy, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfast and gentleness and fight the good fights. Take hold of eternal life. Make that good confession among many witnesses, in the presence of many witnesses. And then he calls upon Timothy to finish what he started. I charge you in the presence of God. Why in the presence of God? Because, Timothy, you're owned by Him. You're possession of Him. He has given you this privilege. Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, Timothy, I charge you, verse 14, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. No matter what happens, protect the integrity of the Word. Protect the integrity of your salvation. Maintain a public confession of faith. Be fully persuaded Distracted by meaningless struggles, I charge you to guard and to proclaim and to protect and in the end preserve the Word of God for the glory of God. Timothy, finish what you started. Funny that he would use such terminology with a guy that's just starting out. I told you when we started. Every day in ministry is about finishing well. Maintaining that eschatological perspective and understanding this is really all about. Timothy, 
I want you to, to keep the commandment unstained and free. In your personal life, I charge you to the best of your ability, be free from reproach. Be beyond reproach, he records for us in chapter 3 of the qualifications of a pastor. What that means is not without blemish. It doesn't mean perfect. We are not that. Sometimes we project it. It's a false projection. We struggle just like you. On Monday morning and Tuesday morning and any other morning that you might point out, he is saying, don't let anything become such a big part of your life that it brings reproach to the gospel. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. Wow. That's what it means to finish. And none of us are up to that job without Christ. That's why in the end of the day, all I have is Christ. And do so, Timothy. Till you're tired of doing it. No, no, he doesn't say that. Do so, Timothy. When you can't take it, you know, you don't, you don't say that. Do it until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do it for the rest of your life, Timothy, for the glory of God. Pastor Russ and I have been at this a little longer than some of the other guys. Sometimes you have to muster the strength just to do that. Okay, till you come. It's a long time. I'm not so sure. How about, how about we make a deal, Lord? I'll do it today, and you come tomorrow. Then, then we're good with this whole… It doesn't work that way. You do it till you see Him, become like Him, and realize that it was worth it all. And then He introduces us to this glorious benediction. Keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which He will display at the proper time. He will do it at His perfect will at just the right time. He uses that terminology when He sent Christ. That is going to be the same terminology when He sends Christ to return. At His time, He who's blessed and sovereign the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to Him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen and amen. In this magnificent doxology, He draws out so many truths of the character and nature of God that Timothy can use as as admonition and support and encouragement in those very dark days. He's saying to Timothy, we have a sovereign God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. You don't think He knows what you're going through? How humbling and sobering is that? In essence, He takes all of what He just told Timothy, and He brings it to His rightful conclusion, and He says, hey, Timothy, just so you don't misunderstand, this isn't about you. It is about the blessed, sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. I want to talk about perspective. That is the perspective that you need in life. 
That is the perspective that you need in ministry. That is the perspective that you need to sustain yourself in the worst and most difficult times of life. He introduces us to that eternal nature, the immortality of, of Christ who dwells in inapproachable light, the transcendent glory of Christ, that glory that, that shown to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6, woe is me for I am undone, holy, holy, holy. You know, every once in a while we need to go through this heat check. Every once in a while we need to go through a heart check. Have we become big and he's become small? He says, Timothy, I want you to pursue all of these things and I want you to be reminded more than anything else. But all of this doesn't rest upon you. It rests upon the King of kings and Lord of lords, the eternal Son who is coming again. So as you live and as you breathe and as you minister and you serve, it is about Christ and Christ alone. And Timothy, be reminded to him and to him alone be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And amen. Good perspective in challenging times. Good perspective in times of transition. Good perspective for pastors in service. Good perspective for living the Christian life. Good perspective for finishing well. And I thought it was all about me. Of course, you don't have that issue, right? I thought it was all, no. May he receive all the praise and the honor and the glory and eternal dominion. Amen and amen. Pastor Russ, it has been a pleasure. My privilege to know you and serve with you here at First Baptist, to serve with you throughout the years. And I leave you with Paul's admonition here in this text. I charge you and the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus. And when his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he was the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality and who dwells in unapproachable light, no one was ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion forever and forever. Amen. And if it's not in this life, Pastor Russ and I will see each other again as we stand before the throne. That's the eschatological perspective. I think we all need a little bit of that today. Pray with me, please. Father, humbling to realize that this is not about us. Sobering 